This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. has come today, and I cannot avoid this because it occurs to me that if I'm going to go to my 35th year reunion from graduation from medical school, well, as the legendary Samuel Goldwyn apparently once said, we've all passed a lot of water since then, and uh, well, I know I have. I think it's safe to say that after doing this, I will have some interesting new wrinkles to share with you, dear listener. Michael Pollan, former Radio Parallel guest Michael Pollan, has a new book out titled How to Change Your Mind, The New Science of Psychedelics. And this reminds me of a conversation I had at the last medical school reunion with one of my fellow alumni who is now, I believe, using psychedelics in his psychiatric practice. He was doing so Five years ago, I wanted to follow up on our conversation, and I guess I get the chance to this weekend. If all goes well, I think he might make a great guest for this program, but I can't promise that I can deliver him, but I'll, I'll try. This is an interesting topic. When I was in medical school, 35-plus years ago, drugs like MDMA were being touted as having a great potential to treat things like post-traumatic stress disorder. Unfortunately, along the way, MDNA got rebranded as ecstasy. People discovered it as a drug of raves and abuse, I guess you'd say. And uh, the, federal the federal government stepped in and made it, I think, a Schedule One. There it went as therapy. Although a few people operating on the fringes, I think, still made use of it and, and still do to this day. And, well, it's a topic I think we just you need to explore and talk about. Fingers are crossed. I'm also hoping to do some follow-up on our marvelous chat of a few years back with one of my professors of medicine, who regrettably will not be attending this reunion, although we invited him. Uh, James Fallon will hopefully return to this program to, to update us on some of the curious things he's been up to. Uh, he told me that he will not be attending the reunion, although we were his favorite class, because he's off to Berlin to promote some sort of movie project that involves... Uh, I think time travel and going back to the old Soviet Union and uh, all kinds of what-ifs. You can bet he's going to have some interesting tales to share with us about that, and I hope that he will. Do you think it's safe to invite a psychopath to your medical reunion? What could possibly go wrong? And uh, although it pains me to admit that I'm not 39 years of age, well, I, I couldn't very well be, could I? <laughs> I'd like to think I am, but I'm holding in my hand here an article I pulled out of the New Yorker earlier this year, a piece by Louis Menard 
critic at large, titled Been There, Looking Back at the Presidential Election of 1968. And yes, at this point in time, I can remember the year 1968 with absolute clarity. And this certainly motivated yours truly to track down and, and speak with Senator Eugene McCarthy about that tumultuous year in which he played such an important role. Unfortunately, we had some technical difficulties in speaking with Senator McCarthy, who was at that point in a retirement home. The phone was very bad. And um, I think I compounded the felony by going to speak with him in his facility in D.C. in conjunction with a public radio conference being held in our nation's capital. And uh, probably the biggest mistake I've made in radio was not taking along a tape recorder when former KDBS general manager and KZFR radio host and my nephew, Stephen Valentino, accompanied me. I think we both missed one hell of an opportunity because Senator McCarthy had some incredible tales to share with us. And if I had more time, I'd go into that, but I don't have time today. Hopefully before this year is out, we'll take another look back 50 years ago to 1968. Such things as the Soviet invasion of Czechoslovakia is something worth mentioning on this program. With the USSR dead and gone, well, at least some aspects of it are dead and gone. Some aspects of it are very much still alive. But it's, 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 it's strange to look back and remember this all-powerful Soviet empire sending tanks in to crush the liberalization underway in Czechoslovakia. Last month, the invasion was commemorated in Prague, the 50th anniversary, when hundreds of demonstrators evidently protested at the Russian embassy in Prague, holding signs reading, we will never forget and stop Russian imperialism. In case you are not aware, uh, in 1968, the Prague Spring as it was described, it was an experiment in political and cultural freedom initiated by Czecho the Czechoslovakian Communist Party leader, Alexander Dubček. He said he wanted to implement, quote, socialism with a human face, unquote. A few months after that statement, Warsaw Pact troops, the Warsaw Pact was the Soviet Empire's answer to NATO. The Warsaw Pact troops invaded, they occupied Czechoslovakia, killed more than 70 people. As I say, it's something worth talking about, and I hope, I hope we will do that. I think it's fair to say that Soviet-slash-Russian intervention in other countries is a topic that has not gone away. And before you KPFA listeners jump in to say, well, the U.S. intervention in other countries is uh, something we could talk about too, well, yes, we could, and yes, we have, and yes, we will. In fact, we're bound to do a little bit of that on today's program, although not right away. I think we're going to put that off for the second segment. So many things have been happening in the world. I think I'd like to break in today's show somewhat gently. We like to do obituaries in this program, and we, I think, are bound by duty to say something about the passing of Senator John McCain, and I suppose we will, but not right at this exact second. Instead, I want to do another obituary who's a little more lighthearted. In fact, Mr. McMillan, can you cue up the appropriate music? He's bounded down, loaded up and trucking. Are we gonna do what they say can't be done? Are we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm eastbound just like no bandit run. 
Yes, Radio Parallax mourns the passing of actor Burt Reynolds. A few years back, Mr. Reynolds's autobiography hit the bookstores. It was titled, But Enough About Me, <laughs> a memoir. He had help in writing it by a man named John Winokur. It contained a foreword by John Voigt. And I got to tell you, I, I thought it was an entertaining read. We did entertain the possibility of seeking out Mr. Reynolds as a guest for Radio Parallax, and maybe we should have. I'd heard rumors that his health was poor in the end, and it was not clear that he could have sustained an actual interview, but hell, you know, we could have tried. Alas. And although we don't have Mr. Reynolds' voice on tape, we do have his, his book, and right here in my left hand in this case. I think I'd be remiss if I did not pull a few entertaining quotes out of it for today's show. Let us, let us cite his chapter on Betty Davis. Yes, Betty Davis. Said Burt Reynolds, I always had a thing for Betty Davis. Watching her on the screen as a kid, I knew she was special. When I first came to Hollywood and met her, she was everything I thought she'd be and more. Tough and strong, but in her own strange way, very sexy. Fortunately, Betty liked me. She had said nice things about me in the press, and the first time I met her in person, I was amazed that she was only that tall. That's hard to translate from print, but anyway. Said Reynolds, I wouldn't have fought her with an axe. Adding, I'd rather have Ray Nitschke tackle me, and if I was in a dark alley, I'd want her behind me. He said at the start of our friendship, Betty couldn't quite figure me out. When she did, or thought she did, we got along great. On occasion, she allowed me to be her escort, and let me tell you, taking Betty Davis to an event, the seas parted. Betty loved to gossip about the people she'd work with, and one of the, one of the first things she ever told me was that she couldn't stand Errol Flynn. They were both under contract at Warner Brothers and made several films together, including The Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex, in which she plays Queen Elizabeth I. Betty had wanted Laurence Olivier for the part of Lord Essex and was unhappy with Errol Flynn. She thought he was arrogant and unprofessional, and she didn't bother to hide it. She would insult him in front of the crew, and in one rehearsal, she slapped him so hard it made his eyes water. Betty just liked Errol Flynn, but she hated Joan Crawford. When I met Crawford, I didn't care for her either. I didn't like that she was mean to people in the crew, and I wasn't crazy about her work. I caught her acting too many times, way over the top. Crawford was all about image. She played the movie star thing to a hilt. She never left the house unless she was made up to the nines and never missed a chance to ingratiate herself with a fan. Said Burt Reynolds, and I'm quoting, The feud started when Betty rebuffed the advances of Joan Crawford, who, Betty swore, had had affairs with Greta Garbo, Barbara Stanwyck, Marlena Dietrich, and every other female star at MGM except Lassie. Anyway, there's tons more stuff like that in Burt Reynolds' autobio, and I can recommend it to you if you're interested in such readings, dear listener. You know, it, it's, it's got a few laughs. So, by the way, did Burt Reynolds' interview conducted for Playboy magazine, which I stumbled upon out in my garage not two days ago. This was the October 1979 issue of Playboy. You only had the Playboy for the articles, right? My dad only had the Playboy for the articles. Reynolds expressed some doubt about appearing in the Playboy interview, and the magazine asked him, are you worried that you won't come off as the funny guy people saw on The Tonight Show? Reynolds responded, I just find that my humor comes out of inflection and timing and doesn't really translate all that well in print. I mean, I can sit around and say what I think are amusing things, and people will laugh, and then when I read what I've said, I haven't been funny at all. Just biting and bitchy. 
So I have to be careful. You know, people usually come to interview me with the idea that it'll be like The Tonight Show, and when I don't do it for them, it pisses them off, and they'd write, he's a sullen, pseudo-intellectual man. I don't believe in being on all the time, and when I want to do The Tonight Show, I'll do it on TV. Playboy then asks, is it unreasonable for people who've seen your films and who watched you on The Tonight Show to assume that that's who you are? Reynolds responded, it's not unreasonable at all, and they're right, it is me. But that isn't all of me. I mean, I go to the toilet too. I get sick, I cry at movies, I sometimes have trouble breathing. I guess what I'm saying is, I can step back and talk about Burt Reynolds, the movie star, and the Tonight Show guest, and the rest of who I am, and sometimes they're all three combined, and sometimes they're not. But it doesn't cause me to go to a shrink, because this kind of thing is true of most actors, and the ones who've destroyed themselves, like Marilyn Monroe, are people who haven't been able to step back and look at that. Playboy then asked, how important has The Tonight Show been to your career? And I love this response from Reynolds. It's been more responsible for my success than anything else. The first time I was on the show was about 1971. And after the first commercial, Johnny asked me if I wanted to be a guest host. And I said, yeah, mostly because I was too dumb to be scared. I did maybe 10 guest shots in The Tonight Show before I finally hosted it. And by then, I'd made a study of what Johnny does. He's really a genius, you know, but you only find that out when you sit in that chair and there are four people with you who won't talk or will talk too much. And somehow you have to make them all comfortable and you have to try and make them all look good. Bert, after doing a lot of interviews for this radio program, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. I do want to emphasize within trying to market this show to people who are prospective guests, I have tried to point out that it is my goal to make both of us, interviewer and interviewee, sound like geniuses. With, of course, Ms. McMillan's help. He has often threatened me with the possibility of releasing unedited versions of this show. You guys knew this show was edited, right? All right, I feel like doing just a bunch of miscellaneous stuff that reflects the sort of things we seem to take an interest in. But before I do that, let's do what I think is a lot of people's favorite part of this program, the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, according to The Week magazine, from which we're going to take all of our items today, it was a good week, several weeks back, for stereotyping with the news that an 18-year-old Afghan refugee was denied asylum in Austria because he didn't seem gay enough to be a victim of persecution. Austrian officials said, neither your gait, your behavior, or your clothing have even hinted that you could be homosexual. Well, it's a good thing Rock Hudson never asked for asylum in Austria. Young man, there's no need to feel down. I said, young man, pick yourself off the ground. I said, young man, cause you're in a new town. There's no need to be unhappy. It was, on the other hand, a bad week, I would say, last week for Gwyneth Paltrow with the news that her wellness brand titled Goop, yes, Goop, agreed to pay $145,000 to settle a state of California lawsuit accusing the company of claiming that its quartz and jade vaginal eggs, yes, vaginal, quote, eggs, unquote, could boost orgasm and increase, quote, feminine energy, unquote, or, quote, yoni, unquote. 
Mr. Mellon asks that I clarify that Yoni is to be distinguished from the Turkish musician Yanni, who, as far as we know, has nothing whatever to do with either quartz or jade vaginal eggs. Fill in your own additional wisecrack here. And it was surely an ugly week a couple of weeks ago for the independence of children with the news that an Illinois woman was visited by police and investigated by child services in the state of Illinois because she let her eight-year-old daughter, her eight-year-old daughter, walk the dog around the block. Corey Wilden's ordeal began when a neighbor saw the child walking alone with the dog and called the police. Wyden, who was not charged, said she lives on a safe suburban block, adding, quote, no one will dictate my parenting choices, unquote. Maybe not, but that nosy neighbor is sure going to try. And Radio Parallax is not sure whether to call it a good week for or a bad week for bribery, but here's the story. In St. Paul, Minnesota, a suicidal man was apparently hanging off the edge of a bridge. Two passing beer truck drivers evidently stopped and managed to talk him off the ledge by offering him a 12-pack of Coors Light. I guess in a strange way, that circles us back to Burt Reynolds and Smokey and the Bandit, doesn't it? Weren't they trying to smuggle Coors across, across the eastern, into the eastern U.S.? At any rate, a local police spokesman in St. Paul said, quote, beer has been bringing people together for a long, long time, unquote. Speaking of beer, one of the most fun interviews we ever did was about beer with UC Davis professor of brewing Charles Bamford. We highly recommend you check it out on our archives at radioparallax.com. I think we're going to do here a lightning round. Remember those old TV game shows? Where we just plow through a bunch of miscellaneous stuff. Like this. According to the Wall Street Journal, airlines have failed in efforts to reduce the number of animals flying in their cabins. Emotional support animals on U.S. carriers have soared 56% in one year to, are you ready for this, 751,000. Delta alone now carries roughly 700 emotional support animals and service dogs every day. That's up from 450 a day in 2016. Animal-related incidents on airplanes, ranging from barking to biting other passengers, have increased by 84% since 2016. What in the hell's wrong with people? We did report several months back that one of the airlines finally drew the line at an emotional support peacock that someone was trying to bring on board an aircraft. Radio Parallax takes the position that if you can't fly without a peacock, you should stay home. And we reported on some of the problems with high tech. We will do so today. We will do so on next week's show. And, uh, and we'll do so right now because here's an item that shows how you can go wrong. Evidently, Thomas Thompson who is an obscure 19th century Scottish chemist, has had a statue erected in his honor in St. Petersburg, Russia. This, despite the fact that Mr. Thompson has had no, con had no connection whatsoever to the Russian city. 
Turns out the statue was meant to commemorate Jean-Francois Thomas de Tomon. He was a French architect who designed several of the city's 19th century buildings. Local artist Alexander Tratyanov modeled his statue of Thomas de Tomon on a mislabeled picture in the Frenchman's Wikipedia entry that turned out to be an image of the Scot. Tarachinov explained, We were confident the Internet would give us the correct information. Clearly the authorities now are much less confident. And speaking of artistic mishaps, a visitor to the Saralves Gallery in Portugal was injured after falling into an artwork that consisted of a deep hole in the ground. Yes, evidently Anish Kapoor's Descent into Limbo featured a room containing a 2.5-meter hole painted so uniformly black as to appear to be drawn on the floor. An Italian man discovered this the hard way, and in fact wound up in the hospital with minor injuries. The gallery has closed the exhibit until a way to prevent more souls falling into limbo has been discovered. Now, Mr. Millen has been very disappointed to hear this story. He is, is an artist on the side, and his exhibit of the Burmese Tiger Trap, scheduled for local exhibition, is now on hold. Aww. And, as reported on Radio Parallax some months back, the Cairo Zoo was being cited for evidently exhibiting some donkeys with painted stripes and trying to pass them off as zebras. This led a disappointed customer at the Yuhei Zoo in Hebei, China, to publish some other instances of questionable curation. At least that's how New Scientist magazine has labeled it. They report that cages for tigers, owls, eagles instead contained dogs, thankfully unpainted, while the pen for a long-eared rabbit had, well, just a regular rabbit, and apparently managers of the Hebei Zoo had trouble finding an Australian ostrich, which is understandable since they're native to Africa. Observers noted that the pen signposted as such instead contained chickens. Here's the part I like. The zoo responded to complaints by saying the larger animals had been shipped elsewhere and the signs were not yet updated. A correspondent for the feedback section of New Scientist says he was reminded by this story of visiting a zoo in his youth where the enclosure for the South African fishing cat was empty. On asking where the fishing cat was, his father replied, well, gone fishing. Speaking of fishing, there's apparently a scallop war erupting between the Brits and the French. 35 boats of French scallop fishermen got into a violent altercation with five British dredgers in the English Channel. They lobbed flares and rocks at the British boats. Both sides claimed they were rammed. The French, restricted by their government to fishing from scallops from October 1st to May 15th, are furious at the British for fishing too much and too early, leaving, quote, only the crumbs, unquote, for the French. The Brits, for their part, cried piracy and appealed to the Royal Navy for protection, citing social media postings in which French scallopers discussed buying catapults to, to try and sink the British vessels. Well, we would like to caution British fishermen to not necessarily believe everything you see on social media. And while you're at it, fellas, quit stealing all the French scallops. Another questionable tech stories. Um, I think we reported on this a few months ago, but you know, if, even if we did, it's worth talking about again. Back on May 20th, residents of Lake Worth, Florida received an emergency alert. 
It warned them of, quote, extreme zombie activity, unquote. The message informed the bucolic seafront community of a power outage and zombie alert for residents of the Lake Worth and Terminus areas. In a statement, the city spokesman said the message was a result of someone tampering with the alert system, adding, I want to reiterate that Lake Worth does not have any zombie activity currently and apologizes for the system message. Well, sure, no zombies currently. Well, what about the next time? And we do very much hope, dear listener, that you've taken our advice and gone out after sunset to look to the western sky to see Venus, Jupiter, Saturn, and Mars all arrayed before you in their splendor. We urge you to do so again because Venus is going to disappear into the sun's glare in the next uh, week or so. So go out and check it out. It doesn't happen very often that you get this kind of display up in the heavens. And since we're talking about the heavens, and yours truly has been pointing out to just random people on the street, hey, you want to see something neat? That's Venus, that's Jupiter, that's Saturn, and that's Mars. And I, and I got to say, I've done this I don't know how many times, and people are grateful. This astronomical educational moment forces me to go to the archives and pull out an article that we talked about, oh, I believe, 10 years ago in this program, and and we're going to revisit right now. About 10 years ago, an astronomer was asked a question about astrology, and his response evidently went viral. This report, citing Park Kunkel, board member of the Minnesota Planetarium Society, simply commented on a fact that has been well known to astronomers which is that the astrological sign you think you are is almost certainly wrong. In fact, Radio Parallax intends to now tell you what correct astronomical slash astrological sign you should be. We will not, however, do your astrological chart. By the way, this article had a rather hilarious quote. A a return fire from a man called Monty Taylor, described as a veteran starman from Manhattan. He and other astrologers were emailing in the wake of this uh, viral correction to their art by saying, Oh, here we go again. One step forward and two steps back. Somehow that seems especially appropriate for astrology. But nevertheless, dear listener, get a pen and paper if you like, if you want to know what you really are, and jot down the following. Despite what you've been led to believe, if your birthday falls between January 20th and February 16th, you are a Capricorn. If your birthday is between February 16th and March 11th, you are an Aquarius. If your birthday is between March 11th and April 18th, you're a Pisces. Between April 18th and May 13th, an Aries. Between May 13th and June 21st, a Taurus. Between June 21st and July 20th, a Gemini. This is where I come in because I've been told my whole life I'm a Cancer. In fact, I'm a Gemini. If your birthday is between July 20th and August 10th, that's where Cancer really comes in. Between August 10th and September 16th, you're a Leo. You're a Virgo if you're born between September 16th and October 30th. You're a Libra if you're born between October 30th and November 23rd. You're a Scorpio and only a very small window of November 23rd to November 29th. And here's the real curveball in the equation. If you're born between November 29th 
and December 17th, you are in fact a member of the 13th constellation of the zodiac, Ophiuchus. Lastly, you are a Sagittarius if you're born between December 17th and January 20th. We did the math on this some years back and concluded that the chances you're not the sign that you think you are was upwards of 85% probability. If you will compare what I just read to the traditional dates of the astrologic signs, which are 2,000 years out of date by now, you'll find that nobody who thinks they're a Capricorn actually is. Nobody who thinks they're a Scorpio actually is. The same for Libra. And the only Geminis that really are Geminis are the ones born on June 21st. It is our suspicion that most, most listeners to Radio Parallax are not devotees of astrology, but you surely know friends and family who are. And we're pretty sure that if you point out to them that this is all wrong, it will not even dent their um, belief. We say give it a go. And while it may be the dawning of the age of Aquarius, Radio Parallax needs to take a break, which we will do so now. But stick around, we got lots more in the second segment. This is Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett.